This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. There's no sign of sustained improvement at our airports and the finger pointing among the airports, the airlines and the government continues. Yesterday, Transport Minister Omar Al-Ghabra doubled down on his failure to accept responsibility and this time he blamed the airlines. Airlines have a duty as well. We're hearing some stories about luggage issues and and flight cancelling, so cancellation, we want to make sure that the airlines as well do their part. Well, the suggestion there that the government is doing its part, I'm not sure about that. There is no question that the airlines bear some responsibility, and I too have been hearing many stories about lost bags, lost strollers, and of course, the last time He spoke on this subject. The transport minister blamed passengers, musing that we could not remember how to efficiently empty our pockets and our carry-ons to get through security. Well, yesterday, the Greater Toronto Airports Authority picked up on that, and they held a media day with a refresher for us. What a joke. Meantime, there are some new rules on refunds, which are being portrayed as an increase in passengers' rights. But are they really? The numbers for you to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 And now let's go to John Graddock, a former executive with Air Canada and head of McGill University's Aviation Management Program, as well as Dr. Gabor Lukash, founder and president of Air Passenger Rights. Hello and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Good afternoon. Let us begin with John Graddock. So, uh, in in the in the finger pointing uh, trifecta, who do you say is most to blame? Well, I think I've lost track of who's pointing the finger at who and when. Uh, there's so much of it going on these days that it really is, you know, kind of a, a you know a, a mess trying to figure out who's really, you know, part of the problem in this exercise. Um, you know, I, I, you know, in my teachings, I basically do a lot of work on supply chain as well as aviation management, and we tend to look at root causes of of disruption. And uh, this one's a moving target. It, you know, a month ago, I would have said, yeah, airport staffing. Um, then I then I moved to airline staffing, and then I moved to uh, baggage, and then I moved today, moving towards just the airlines, just throwing too much capacity at the market and that the airport just can't handle it. So it's moving. So it's like, uh, it's like overbooking a flight on a scale writ large. They're just selling more flights than they can actually handle. Is that right? Well, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, the traditional overbooking and, and Gabor knows, you know, how this works is that, you know, people would get on a flight in Air Canada or would, all the other carriers would overbook the seats. So you have 100 seats on an airplane, they'll overbook it to 110, and that's overbooking. In this case, it's not a question of overbooking. It's a question of just putting too many aircraft and too many flights. Forget overbooking. It's just too many flights that the airport infrastructure is not equipped to handle the volume of flights that the airlines are, are, are putting through the airport at Pearson. <laughs> Which begs the question, I mean, don't they coordinate this? Aren't there rules around that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we, we we can spend a few minutes talking about those rules. But, you know, it's essentially Toronto is a slot-controlled airport, which means that there's only a certain number of aircraft that can either depart or arrive at Pearson, and those slots are defined by the GTAA. So, you know, again, if you talk about finger-pointing, I think I would have one of those flying, fickle fingers of fate point at the GTAA, because they're, they allowed all of these carriers to, in fact, operate because they didn't adjust the slots at Pearson Airport to reflect 
the fact that they're short a couple of thousand people to process the passengers. So that's where, you know, if you, in fact, look at slot controls and reduce the number of slots that are available to what the capacity of the airport is, probably the problems would have resolved themselves quickly. Uh, Gabor, uh, before we get to the new rules, I mean, yesterday, I I mean, I was slack-jawed at this patronizing, pathetic uh, thing put on by the airport authority where they're showing us how to put a 100-milliliter liquid into a plastic bag, as if that is the holdup. Well, I, I very much agree with John that it, we really see here a kind of blame shifting, finger pointing. And what is really missing is someone to say the buck stops at me and I'm going to solve this problem. And that's what really the transport minister's job would be, to issue marching orders to the airlines to pay compensation to passengers, to issue marching orders to the Canadian Transportation Agency to enforce passengers' rights and entitlement to those compensation. Um, I I think that part of the problem is indeed that, that the GTA, but not entirely there too, because um, the slots may have been there, but it is not that the airport as a facility cannot handle it, but more that the uh, CBSA and the CATSA facilities are not there, which are not exactly under the airport authority's control. So in part of the problem is that, that there has been no sufficient and open public dialogue between those various bodies to say, we may physically have so many gates and we may physically be able to handle so many takeoffs and landings, but we don't necessarily have the CBSA or CATSA staff that will then deal with the passengers. Hmm. We can deal with everything but the passengers. Um, yeah. It, 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 you know, it, it sounds like, like the, the old uh, um, proverbial uh, bad teacher who says, I really love my job, other than the fact that there are students there. So it sounds like the the, the airport is saying, really can handle this, this, but except for the passengers. John, Greg, yeah, and I, go yeah, ahead. I think, I think just to, to answer Gabor's point, or just to take on Gabor's point, I think that, you know, I'll, I'll correct Gabor in as much as the GTAA, when it does define the capacity that's capable of being handled by the airport, it's not just arrivals and departures physically for the airplane. They have to understand what the volumes of passengers are going to be in the building and the number of slots that you, in fact, offer to the marketplace, to the carriers, is a function of the total system, not just airport runways and taxiways and gates. It's really the infrastructure and the people, CATSA and CBSA inclusive. So it is incumbent on the GTAA to make sure it's representing all of the elements of capacity at the airport, not just the physical infrastructure that's there. And, and how much in advance is it done? Is there a possible excuse that people have quit since it was determined? Well, typically what happens is that you know, you're, you're looking at probably a five or six month window prior to the schedule being implemented where the carriers, you know, get together with the airports and they basically present their schedules. So I'm assuming that, you know, that, that plan for summer 22 was presented by the airlines in October of 2021. Now, I would dare to say, and I would, and I'm only speculating at this point in time that if we if we were put ourselves back in October or November of 2021 and we were asked to look at what does the summer of 22 look like, um, you know, we were still in the middle of the pandemic. We were basically starting to come up with dealing with the Delta. We we're coming up with Omicron, um, and it wasn't looking very good. Carriers were still not planning, you know, to have a significant uh, increase in capacity. In fact, the airlines were saying we're not going to see traffic come back to 2019 levels until late 2023 or maybe even 2024. Well, guess what? March of 2022 shows up. All of a sudden, the restrictions are starting to be left lift, lifted. Um, revenge travel comes back with a vengeance. Everybody wants to fly. The carriers have the ability to put the airplanes and the crews on the airplanes, and they just put that stuff out there in March three months ago. So there is a lag in terms of the amount of time it's going to take the airport authorities, including CTSA, NOCATSA, and CBSA, to basically staff up to be able to handle this load. So the loads you are seeing today were forecast only about three months ago, and it does take time to get everybody trained and up to speed. So. That's the uh, dilemma that the airports are in. Okay, well, let us turn to the new rules 
for compensation. Uh, Gabor, uh, what do you make of them? There are new rules. They go into effect not till September. There are amendments. And uh, it means that passengers whose flights are canceled or delayed by three hours or more uh, for reasons including weather um, uh, have to be rebooked. Like, what is, what is the change here? Well, that's a good, that's a good question because to a great extent, whatever, whatever has been there has not been changed. Whatever is being changed has changed the worst. Uh, what the new rules are adding is that in situations where it is within the airlines, sorry, which is outside the airlines control, the airline can, it sounds like, keep your money as long as they are offering you a flight within 48 hours, within two days. So if you were, say, to travel for a weekend um, visit to a family member, on a Friday evening, and they say, well, sorry, we can't send this flight, but you can still fly on Sunday evening, just around the time you were about to come back, they can still keep your money. It's a Canada-only, quote, uh, solution, which there is no other Western country that would allow airlines to do something like this. The U.S., the European Union, Israel, even Turkey are clear, and they have clear, clear rules in place that if a flight is canceled for any reason, doesn't matter who it is within outer airlines control, for any reason, the passenger can say, sorry, I want my money back. Why? Because people travel for a purpose. Um, it, says do, here and I'm, it says here, and I'm reading, that the change allows customers to choose between a refund or another flight. Within this, four- this is true. This is true only if the airline is unable to provide passengers with alternate transportation within 48 hours. If they are able to, to provide alternate transportation within 48 hours, then they, then they don't have to offer a refund. They can just say, here's your ticket for, you know, two, two days from now, but a bit less than 48 hours. Have a good day, sir. That's, that's what actually is in the regulations. Uh, whatever they put in the, uh, you know, press release is an entirely different story but I can tell you what is actually in the body of the regulations. Oh, okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm reading, and I'm reading, says the change allows customers to choose between a refund or another flight that leaves within 48 hours. So that says you can choose and say, no, I'll take my refund. That's not, unfortunately, what the regulations say. Uh, Section 18 of the what is being put in place say that you're entitled to uh, a refund only if they cannot provide you with alternate transportation within 48 hours. It, the government is not telling you the truth simply about what is in there, and they are, they are playing various games in terms of uh, public relations. If, if you look at uh, what is actually uh, uh, on the Canadian Transportation Agency's website, that actually might be um, um, more, more uh, accurate. It, it says right there uh, in the press release of the Canadian Transportation Agency that if the airline cannot provide a confirmed reservation within this 48-hour period, it will be required to provide at a passenger's choice a refund or rebooking. So to be clear, if in Europe your flight is canceled and they offer you a new flight in two or three or five or six hours, it doesn't matter. If your original flight was canceled in Europe, you do have the legal right to say, I want my refund. In the U.S., the same thing. It is only in Canada that somehow the government believes that it's appropriate to force passengers to pay for flights which didn't operate, and for flights, which alternative flights, which are absolutely no use for them. Uh, it, it's mind-boggling, actually. John, what do you make of it? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with Gabor on this one. I think that, you know, I think that when you're looking at, you know, what the objective was of this so-called rule change was to kind of provide, you know, a bone for those passengers that are inconvenienced today you know, or have been inconvenienced for the last, 45 or 60 days saying, here, here's a lifeline we're throwing at you. But, you know, the airlines have not done a good job of offering protection uh, and basically are telling people just, you know, we'll take care of you whenever we can. Uh, and me- meanwhile, no compensation. So I think that, you know, the airlines really have put the pressure on the CTA to, to put out this, this interesting press release that kind of, provide some level of relief, but as Gabor says, look at the regs, look at the regulations, look at the statute, and uh, th- that is inaccurate. That press release is inaccurate. So I'm not sure what the game is playing. Oh, th- this it's incredible. Because um, the other thing is, and, and 
people, you know, we have uh, our travel insurance guy, Marty Firestone, on often. And I think the bottom line is you can't travel without trip interruption insurance or what, whatever it is. And I'm not sure if it covers canceled flights because it, it's not even just the flight. I mean, if you have booked a hotel, usually you can cancel up to 24 hours. But if you're flying, you know, to New York uh, in a morning and your flight's canceled, it, you know, you're on the hook for that hotel reservation, right? Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I've had too many people call me over the last couple of days, uh, albeit as a result of the passport kerfuffle. But, you know, they're a family of five leaving Montreal to go to Rome. And they asked the question of the airline, if I can't get my passport, can I, in fact, delay my flight and get another flight without any additional charge? And the answer was, of course not. <laughs> Don't you know, be silly. Cost you, it's going to cost you, it's gonna cost you $10,000. To move your flight. Uh, it, it, it is just, I mean, it, it's, it is just so unfair. Uh, and I have never been happier that way back in the day, I made a decision to get a 10-year passport. Gabor, I mean, what about all those other costs? Well, um, when we see a passport issue and, and say, um, that's not the airline's fault. I, I would be quite happy if Canadian Airlines were simply obeying the law, which they are systematically disobeying, if the, the government was enforcing the law as written, which the government is not doing, and if uh, actually passengers were compensated for those uh, issues that are really um, clearly the airline's decisions, like canceling flights for business decisions, business reasons, like um, selling more, way more tickets than they have resources available at the airport or, or among their own staffing. Um, that would be a very good start. When it comes to passport issues, that's something that the passengers may take up with the government. If there is a legal duty there to issue a passport within a given amount of days, they could sue possibly the government for their damages. But on that one, that's not the airline's fault. And the airline has no obligation to be, quote, nice about it. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, those uh, we have only a, a few seconds left here. But again, if your flight gets canceled, you're still on the hook, say, for your hotel or whatever arrangements you made downstream. And that is the airline's fault, is it not? It is. So especially if you're flying internationally and um, your, your flight is canceled for reasons that are within the airline's control, um, you can make the airline pay for it under the Care Federal Carriage by Air Act. You may have to take them to small claims court over it. But if you had a Walt Disney, uh, you know, Disney um, land type of um, activity or a, a game that you were attending or anything at the destination and you missed it because of the airline's actions, they are on the hook for that. Okay. Uh, John Graddock, I'm going to give the last 20 seconds to you. Well, I think that, you know, Canadian travelers going through the airport, particularly at Pearson, over the next, you know, six weeks, um, the one thing they're going to need is a lot of patience. And I think that unless the government comes in and basically mandates a flight reduction, a schedule reduction, uh, we're stuck with this situation for the next six to eight weeks through at least Labor Day. And hopefully Canadians have a lot of patience and they have their smiles available so that they can basically be more civil to each other as they go through the airport. Okay. Um, you know, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this again in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, thank you so much, John Gretek and Dr. Gabor Lukash. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Take care. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back... You know, last week we heard that Toronto was selected as one of the host cities for the World Cup. How much is it going to cost us? I am really surprised that no one seems to be perturbed by this until I read an editorial in the Globe and Mail when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, there seemed to be universal cheers last week when Toronto was named one of the cities to host the World Cup, some of the World Cup soccer games. And frankly, I was surprised at the singular lack of opposition to the idea compared to other initiatives in the past, given the very likely scenario of cost overruns that taxpayers will be 
on the hook for. Now, I'm from Montreal. Do you remember the 1976 Olympics that could no more run a deficit than a man could have a baby? Well, the Globe and Mail had a very well-argued editorial entitled, Dear Taxpayer, You're Spending Almost $600 Million to Host 10 World Cup Soccer Games. That's in Toronto and Vancouver. Why? So, what do you think? Should we be spending that kind of money to host some soccer games? And will it really bring back the, uh, will it really bring back the economic impact to the city that the city is touting? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Forty, And now I'd like to bring in Jay Goldberg, who is with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hi, Jay. Hi, great to be with you. So what do you make of that decision? Well, what I make of the decision is that uh, it's going to be a big money loser for taxpayers. We know uh, you mentioned the Montreal Olympics, the Vancouver Olympics, cost at Canada. $7 billion. There was almost a billion dollars in new debt for the city of Vancouver. And look, we're talking about uh, Toronto spending $890 million to host just five games. So that means we're going to be paying taxpayers $58 million to host each of the five games. And that's assuming that there's no cost overruns. How, how do so you get to that number, Jay? Well, if you divide the number that Toronto is going to be spending uh, here in Ontario, what we'll be spending by the five games that 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 uh, we'll be hosting here, uh, you get to that fifty-eight million dollar number. Uh, because um, it's based on, a, I guess, an older estimate. Well, this is the number that's been estimated that it's going to cost uh, Ontario to host uh, these Olymp- uh, these. Uh, competitions. Uh, this is how much uh, they've pegged the $290 million uh, between the City of Toronto, Government of Ontario. That's how much it's going to cost. Expected, and that's before any cost overrun. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that it passed with such fanfare? Well, I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, an attractive idea to host uh, sporting events. That's always uh, something that people are thinking about in cities and can get excited about. But, you know, in the city of Toronto, they're facing uh, budget uh, constraints. We know, for example, that uh, costs are up due to inflation, but they're also up for individuals. And so the uh, the city's going to be looking this year to raise property taxes on people uh, that are living in the city that really can't afford that right now. And so what we have to think about is, what is the cost benefit here? Uh, is there, are we really going to generate $58 million of tax revenue from a single uh, soccer game to cover the cost? And the answer is definitely no. So that's something that we have to consider. You know, it, it, lo- it always looks attractive to want to host some of these events, but when you look at the dollar figure, uh, going back uh, decades, there are very few examples of hosting sporting events that even broke even. Uh, I'd like to bring in Mike Cole, uh, the councillor for Eglinton Lawrence, uh, Ward 5. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great, uh, Libby. I'm assuming that you've been listening to Jay's critique. Why do you think it's a good idea to bring the World Cup games here? Well, first of all, it's not one soccer game. It's uh, five games that'll be here. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm Italian. (laughs) And I was here for 82. I don't know if uh, Jay was here for 82, but this city was just exploding with a million people out on the streets of St. Clair at the uh, restaurants, bars, celebrating. I mean, uh, this is an international legacy event that every major city in the world tries to get. And uh, if we're going to basically uh, compete with these major cities, we have to compete with these sporting events, which are, you know, it's sports, but it's business too. It's good business. Uh, look what the Raptors did for Toronto. God, would you, would you say no to that? Um, Jay, how do you respond to Mike? Well, as Mike was saying, yes, it's five games. 
games, but if you're looking at $290 million, according to the Globe and Mail, for those five games, you're looking at $58 million per game. And, you know, it's it's interesting to want to compete with other cities in the world for certain things, but uh, I don't think taxpayers should have to foot a bill that's three, almost $300 million just because our councillors seem to think that it might be nice to put Toronto up as a city that's competing in the world. I mean, there are a lot of other ways uh, for Toronto to shine in the world uh, as opposed to this this World Cup uh, that we're talking about. And certainly, the, the you know, when you're talking about the Raptors, the Raptors already play here. They have the stadium. They have the arrangements. Uh, they're paying the cost. This is we're talking about taxpayer dollars here, and that's a very clear difference. Um, according to the economic impact, Mike, Toronto estimates that it'll get three hundred and seven million dollars in GDP impact. Is is that enough? I mean, if you're spending, even if you say there's no cost overrun, uh, you're spending two ninety to get uh, three oh seven, and that's if there are no cost overruns. Is that is that really uh, worth it? Well, you know, it's not just Toronto. Toronto's putting in $73 million. Then we're getting uh, some funding from the federal-provincial government. And uh, Premier Ford is a big supporter of this. And also the private sector's uh, partnering. So it's not just taxpayers. Because business in Toronto realizes that you have to invest in these type of events. I mean, we do it for the film festival. Uh, we're doing it for pride. I mean, we just say no to pride because that costs money and extra policing and overtime. Everything costs money. And if you don't pay money, you're not going to basically keep people working in the city. And that's what the city of Toronto tries to do, especially after this horrific couple of years of the pandemic. Our hotels have been closed down for a couple of years. You know, never mind what's happening to our uh, restaurants, big and small. I mean, uh, this is an opportunity to basically uh, help get and keep our uh, city economy going and people employed. And uh, and never mind the money. It's the incredible enthusiasm and uh, just coming together that these sporting events create. As I said, look at 82, 206. Now Canada's even in the World Cup, for God's sake. So. <laughs> We're going to have even more involvement uh, since Canada's now made it to that elite group. You know, uh, one of the points in this editorial is that, of course, when you spend money, you're making a choice between one thing and another thing. And uh, we've seen uh, outdoor pools not open. We've seen washrooms in public places not open. We've seen all kinds of things that are on hold that are not happening. So is that a fair criticism, Mike? Well, listen, it's a city. It's like a house. There's always maintenance issues, challenges whether it's pools, and that's unfortunate. But, you know, we're also building a $10 billion subway across Eglinton. We're building an Ontario line. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we're investing money all the time. The city, despite COVID, still did pretty well during this incredible, unprecedented challenge. You know, you can't find workers. That's our biggest problem in the city is finding people to work. Uh, you ask any employer, you ask any construction company, they can't find workers. What about, uh, you know, we have to upgrade BMO Field. Is that a good use of taxpayers' money, Jay? Uh, no, it's not. And it's interesting that we're talking about uh, it not, uh, you know, all these supposed benefits that are going to come. And, you know, the council was talking about the, the job creation and all that. Well, look, if we're already having a shortage of workers uh, and we're talking about the, the government's claiming there's going to be more job creation, where exactly are you going to find these people to fill these hypothetical jobs if we're already talking about a labor shortage? And in addition to all of that, there is a very clear difference. And what needs to be put towards taxpayers is the following question. Are you willing to see your property taxes go up in order to help pay to have the World Cup here in Toronto? That is the question, and that's what taxpayers have to ask themselves. If they're happy to pay more property tax in order to have the competition here, that's wonderful. But I think in this era of inflation and tight budgets and just getting out of COVID, I think a lot of people are not going to want to have to pay extra tax dollars to the city, to the province, and the federal government uh, simply to host these games. 
You know, we have a few minutes left in this segment, so let me give the numbers out again, people. I'd like to hear from you. Are you happy? Are you excited that World Cup games are coming to Toronto? It's going to put a lot of excitement in the street. Or do you think it's a bad use of our money? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740. 4740. I'm talking to Jay Goldberg from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and Councillor Mike Cole about this. And uh, clearly they disagree. So uh, let us take a call from Orist in Etobicoke. Hello, Orist. Hi. Uh, as I mentioned uh, to the fellow, your producer, I guess it was, mm-hmm. uh, I just wondered did Mayor Tory or the council have a decision or, or, or a Yes. Were they involved in making the decision to do this? Uh, they certainly were. The mayor is the biggest booster of this, and, and there was exactly one vote against this on city council. It was from Councillor Gord Perks. Well, Only one person. So because there's no way they're going to get their money back. Our money back. Or our money back. Yeah, that's what I mean, the taxpayers' money back. This is ridiculous. I mean, it's nice to have it, but... At that cost, not a chance. Okay, Oris, thanks very much for your call. Uh, Let's go to Pat in Toronto. Hi, Pat. Hi, Libby. Uh, As a former politician myself, eight years on municipal council, it is so easy for elected officials to spend other people's money. It is very, very, very scary. Uh, Our property taxes in Muskoka have gone from $50 in 1970. <laughs> that was a few years today. ago. <laughs> okay. Uh, but do you think this was, uh, do you do you believe in those economic uh, uh, impacts that the, the council is touting? Well, they're talking about it. But, you know, the interesting thing is we talk about the, the high cost of uh, housing. The reason that housing is so expensive is we brought so many people into the country but we've had to bring the people into the country because we haven't reproduced ourselves since 1972. So, you know, you think you're solving one problem, but you're creating another at the same time. Okay, I'm not sure how that's relevant, but thanks for your call, Pat. Let's go to Kelly in North York. Hello, Kelly. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. You're on the air. Okay, I uh, just wanted to say I think it's ridiculous, a ridiculous waste of money. There's so many more things that need looking after. There's people living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, putting a sporting event. It's those people with the money that are happiest here. The people without the money are not. And it's a ridiculous decision. And that's our money. Okay, Kelly, thanks for that. Uh Mike Cole, what do you say to Kelly? She might even be in your ward. Well, what I say is that this money is an investment in the future of Toronto and its economic viability. We have to keep promoting Toronto. We can't sit on our rear ends and expect business to come here. We have to go out and get the business. This is a business opportunity. We put money into bringing the Raptors here. We put money into building the Sky Dome. We do that. That's part of the business. And that's why people will spend money uh, to go see these sporting events. And uh, you can't do anything about the cost of what we pay these people. But basically, it's businesses that makes Toronto a very attractive place. And where else in the world are you going to see diversity and multiculturalism expressed in such a positive way where we've got people from 120 countries. They'll all be out here uh, celebrating and participating. Again, they'll be spending money in hotel rooms, in bars, restaurants. Those people have lost all kinds of money because they haven't had patrons. So whatever we can do to attract people to come and visit their local restaurants, go to uh, see a game, this is what we've got. We can't sit back and just be negative nabobs all the time. We've <laughs> got to get out there and hustle and attract business. And that's why the business community is supportive of this, because it makes good economic sense to basically 
put this money in this investment that will generate economic activity. We can't be passive. The other countries, other cities don't sit back. They're out there all trying to get these attractions. I'm going to give one uh, negative nabob here. Uh, Brian on the QEW, can you uh, say your piece in 20 seconds? I can. Thank you for taking my call. This is not a business opportunity. This is a government opportunity to promote themselves. All, all of the um, experiences that other cities have had, Rio Olympics, uh, Vancouver Olympics, Montreal Olympics, all of these big sporting events end up with deficits, and a lot of these venues end up being hollow shells and a waste of money and time for the average working taxpayer. That's my thought. Okay, Brian, that was very succinct. I appreciate that. And I'm going to give the last 20 seconds to Jay Goldberg. Jay. Well, I, I think it would be nice if uh, Councillor Cole and other councillors answered a very simple question. Because we are hosting these games, will you be raising taxes on taxpayers by even one cent to do so? That is the question. That's what our councillors have to be honest about. And if we see our property tax bills go up next year, uh, part of that, you will be able to thank to this decision to host these soccer games. Okay, well, well I'm there's sure... There's many reasons for property taxes to go up, and this isn't going to do it by itself. So there's always a fear of taxes going up, but this isn't going to be the tipping point. This is an investment in keeping the economy of Toronto vibrant and uh, attractive for people to invest, and that's our number one job, get people working, and that's how you get revenues to pay for the services we need. Without business, we don't have the revenues to provide for our homeless, for our sick, our public health. We've got to bring in money. This is an attempt to bring in money. Okay. Uh, you know, I think this debate will continue probably on Free For All Friday. And in the meantime, thank you both very much, Mike Cole, counselor yeah, for... Yeah, St. Clair, Libby. What? 2026. Okay. Okay. I'll see you on St. Clair and Jay Goldberg with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Thanks, guys. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, a, a very pleasant talk about the exploding social scene in the city seems to have happened just in the last week or so. And we'll talk about that. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, after a very long drought, the city seemed to explode with social events starting about a week ago, including one we hosted here. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for coming to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Jaius the Jewish Immigrant Aid Services. My name is Libby Zneimer. I'm the Vice President of News and an on-air host. Well, last Tuesday, I was emceeing that event, as I said, to mark the 100th anniversary of Jaius. There were more than 80 people here, which has not happened for quite a while. There was also a big black tie fundraiser, a gala for the National Ballet, a tech conference with 35,000 people is underway. Last night, I went to a summer solstice party hosted by the Four Seasons Hotel, and there is more. So to get the lowdown, I'd like to welcome one of Toronto's foremost photographers, Tom Sandler, who seems to be everywhere chronicling these events with his wife, Aline. Hi, Tom. Hi, Libby. So nice to be on your show. Thank Great. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. So um, how many events have you been <laughs> covering lately, I guess, after a big drought? <laughs> you mean just today or over the last few weeks? <laughs> over the last few weeks. Well, over the last few weeks, I don't know. I have a long list here. I would say 20 or 25 in the, in the past month. It, it has just been like, the dam is broken, and uh, and everything has just got back into full swing again. Um, there were days when we actually had done two or three events in the same day. Um, it's been really keeping us on our toes. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of events is it, uh, and and what people are attending them? So is it you know the real social set with big black tie things, or is it more street yeah, level things? It, it, there's a real mixture of things. There's everything from um, I think it where it started for us would have been I think the um, biennial of uh, art festival of Toronto, which was. A wonderful festival uh, celebration for art and artists in different venues in the city. And then um, they had two big openings. Um, they were a bit more informal. And then you go right into stuff like uh, the Biblio Bash for the uh, for the for the um, um, uh, library, um, which was a black tie affair. Um, there's just been everything. The whole spectrum of um, stuff from jeans to to black tie gigs uh when i started seeing those black tie pictures of the kind that you take people in gowns i'm thinking (laughs) wow i don't know if i'm ready to get back into a a gown Uh, are people just itching to do that what's your experience I, i think some are i think people really like to get dressed up and celebrate and um they're you know they've been waiting for a long time in order to break out the the high heels and the and the bow ties and, and, and be real fancy and, and celebrate things. Um, and there's other ones where people are more relaxed. We did a wonderful garden party for the, for the Queen's uh, Jubilee at um, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago at the Agacon Museum. And that was, a, you know, it was kind of sort of formal, but it wasn't. It was a, a garden party. So, you know, they, people would dress sort of like um, in garden party formal, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Uh, it was it was kind of like that last night. Now it's interesting, you know. I'm I'm uh, writing a column, and it's it's actually about getting back to all this. And uh, there seems to be a thing, uh, social awkwardness after COVID. Are you running into any of that? Um, I think some people seem to be out of practice a little bit. Um, you know, and you would meet people that said, I haven't been out and this is the first event I've been to in two years. So they're, they're just a little bit, I think, out of practice. But um, it's, it's kind of like a feeding frenzy out there. People are just so happy to be out and to be together and to celebrate. And, and they're very excited. And, um, you know, sort of being social is kind of like riding a bike, you know, you sort of don't really ever forget how to do it. So you just have a little shake off the rust a little bit and you're right back to right back to normal again. Well, I'm I'm actually n- not sure about that. You know, some people say it's it's more like a muscle and it, that maybe has atrophied because ah, that's I think an interesting. Yeah. I think it's it's difficult for some uh people to get back to, you know, chit-chat before you get into something a little heavier. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do exactly. And you know, you're absolutely right about that. I think there is some awkwardness, uh, you know, um, with it. Um, uh, we're sort of more on that level of doing that all the time. So it wasn't very, I didn't find it very difficult to do that, you know, myself or, or ally. And, you know, we're just kind of got right into it again. But, um, but you're right. I think there is some awkwardness about that. And the other thing that that I found, what I found personally, which I found quite surprising, uh, is not so much feeling awkward as, uh, you know, I'd go to something for an hour and it, I would find it exhausting. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, it, it, people are, I think, out of shape for that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, we've, we all got a little bit older, you know, a couple of years. And um, I think you sort of, that's a natural sort of thing that happens anyways. But if you're off the, the circuit for uh, as well, then, um, yeah, it, it is, um, it can be a little exhausting. Um, we just keep going, you know, our adrenaline is up on a high level. And, uh, one day we actually covered two wonderful galas. One was the, uh, best buddies gala, uh, thrill of Ascot. And we shot from 11 in the morning till three in the afternoon. We had an hour break came home, changed my shirt, and we drove out to do the Moonlight Gala at the McMichael Gallery from 6 till about midnight. <laughs> so that was all in one day. <laughs> so somehow we keep going like the Ever-80 Bunnies. Um, we have a few minutes left in this segment, people. I'd like to hear from you. Um, have you started 
socializing? Would you like to? How have you found it if you have? Uh, is there anything that you're planning to go to? As Tom's been saying, there's sort of this wide gamut of things happening all the way from street fairs. Uh, we, yep. we had the taste of Italy. Uh, Salsa yep. in St. Clair is probably coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, all the way to these very fancy-dancy black-tie galas <laughs> that probably cost a lot of money, too. So the numbers to yep. call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, Tom, are you finding, is is everything kind of picking up where it left off with the same people or is it is it uh, new? Like, are you finding different people or, uh, you know, what are you finding? <laughs> Um, I, I sort of think that it's, it's kind of like the same amount. Well, it, it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. There's some things that I've gone to where I haven't really recognized a lot of people, where I, in the past I have. Um, it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's a, kind of a mixed bag, I, 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 would, I would say. You know, um, um, you know um, it, 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 life is like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's there's a change. I mean, you know, one of the things we kept hearing throughout is that people are going to be kind of more casual about everything. But also uh, there were some people, at least early on, that predicted it's going to unleash, you know, this huge appetite for partying like the 1920s. Ah, well, that could be, I suppose. You know, it, it, the scale's got to get balanced out somehow. So maybe that's What's going to happen? Um, I'm here. June, uh, half of May and June were were totally um, nonstop, insane. I, I'm finding that July now is kind of quieting down for the larger galas and the, the more formal galas. But the more public events are starting to happen. Harbor Front is opening up. Uh, City Hall's having their big public art fair there. Um, so, so there's more of a sort of a focus on that kind of stuff, more or less formal kind of events. Yeah, that coming up now. Wouldn't that be kind of normal that uh, the the fancier galas would would not yeah, go past the school yeah. year? Yeah, there's a certain window for the galas, and that's kind of early summer, June, late spring, and then it quiets down for the summer. People go away, and then it starts to kick back up again in September. So yes, it's it's nothing unusual about that. So it's just what's unusual is that it's actually happening again. <laughs> so that's that's the unusual thing about it. It's been dead for two years. Do you have any tips for people who are trying to get back into the swing of things? Well, tips, I don't know. I think that, um, I think you should, you just should just go out and do it and, 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 you know, um, take all the opportunities you can to enjoy life. I mean, you never know what's going to be coming around the corner. Look what happened with COVID and it shut everything down the whole world. Hopefully that'll not something like that won't ever happen again. So I think it's a good chance when an opportunity knocks, to, you know, keep opening, keep opening up those doors. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, are there any uh, types of uh, event that you enjoy more than others? I mean, I know you're working at them. Yeah. Um, I don't like, you know, I mean, it's hard for to be in big crowds. Obviously it's a lot of pressure on you to work more difficult like that when you're a little bit more open, um, you know, spaces, it's a lot better. Um, I'm actually going to be producing a, a nice event up at Lake Simcoe at the end of July at the yoga and music festival. And, um, on July 30th at Clearwater farm. And what we found is that the, the, the township up here was giving away money to people that wanted to put on events to help, you know, kickstart the economy again, which is one thing I found that was really quite nice. So we applied for a grant, and the next day we got it. And wow! We were put on, <laughs> the next the day, giving away free money. <laughs> so um, I was very relieved to see that. You know that the township that we're behind supporting people doing events again. A very good move. So it's it's yoga and and music. So it's not it's fancy. The, uh, it's not fancy. It's it, and it's at Lake Simcoe at Clearwater Farm, and um, it's free. It's a free event, and we have vendors, and we're we're highlighting some local talent and musicians because nobody's worked for two years, especially musicians and artists. So we've got together with the local radio station up here, and um, 
we're just going to try to uh, breathe some life back into the place again. And I'm, I'm so pleased to be part of it and doing it. So this is our first year. And hopefully we'll do something bigger next year for up here. And uh, do you uh, on do you prefer the big fancy events or or something like more like what you've described? Uh, I'm you know I've, I've had a, we've done a lot of big fancy events and and they're they're fairly intense you know because you know you got to sort of get dressed up and and it, there's a lot more pressure and a lot more stress to do those types of events of course. So I'm now happy to do more relaxed sort of chillado kind of stuff <laughs> and um and simpler things you know um you know every organization and and hospitals and and charities obviously need the money and these are really wonderful things that be happening the the, the city is very generous people come out again and again and again they can't do enough they can't contribute enough they can't support places enough it's really a wonderful city to be in and to see the generosity. But um, personally, uh, I do like a little bit more, you know, less stress. <laughs> <laughs> and are there are there yeah. any of those uh, big major events coming up in the next week or so? Well, it's sort of, I mean, I'm just trying to see what's what's going on. I think most of the big ones seem to be kind of, you know, fading out a little bit. Um, um I, you know, the more the the more it's more like the uh, the public events are, are happening now. Most of the big ones, like you know, this the the fundraiser for Sick Kids Hospital Scrubs and um, the Moon Eye Gala for the McMichael, uh, the Harry Potter opening, which was really crazy. That yeah, which was, was that crazy. Was really I was there too. Yeah, I know. And and um, you know, and I think it's funny because you can feel the, the 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 vibe in the air of people. You know, that was just like. It was just so much tension there and stress. <laughs> well, it's because it was, they, uh, for people who don't know, and we covered it, and the show was fabulous. Yeah, but the but there were fantastic. audio problems, and uh, it was delayed for an hour, and we were all kind of standing on our feet. Uh, yeah, don't feel yeah. sorry for us. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. But yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so uh, things well, are opening to... up, and uh, it seems yes. that we're heading into. Uh, there's both intense and relaxed things. Uh, Tom, last 20 seconds, what would you like to leave us with? Well, um, I think it's great. Like I said before, I, I really love the city and, and the people in it are, are, are so wonderful and generous. And um, hopefully we'll just keep going and it'll keep growing and people will be still supportive and, and go to things. And we'll just, uh, you know, enjoy ourselves. And um, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, a whole new beginning and the start of everything again. And um, and we're, we're very excited about it all. Okay. Tom Sandler, thank you so much. Thank you. It was, very, it was a pleasure. Thank oh, you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.